Absolute Rally, powered by the Kielder Works team. Cordless tools tailored for the world of motorsport. Hello and welcome to Absolute Rally, episode 7, season 20 for these special lockdowns. Thank you so much so far for all the downloads and all the nice things that have been said and all the shares and everything else. It really is appreciated. Um, it's a normal one to some degree because I've got Ryan with me this week. Hello, Ryan. Hello. Uh, season 20, God, have we really got to... The 20th season. season. I, think, I think it's just struck me that we've done 20 seasons of this this rambling nonsense. I know, I know, and it's just just us listening to it normally as well, which is the irony behind it. Um, right, before we go any further, we've 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 also got somebody on with us, and we, before we started recording, I, I genuinely felt we had a podcast before we started recording, which is always great because you always know you're going to have a great chat. Uh, it's a, a co-driver, which which many of you know, and I genuinely didn't realize how far back his career went and how varied it was from group b rally cars to to to, to super 1600s to group m four-wheel drive cars and uh and a three and a half liter rover vitesse which for me is just like rallying a spaceship um so chris wood welcome to absolute rally for the first time sir are you well uh, i am thank you tony it's a pleasure to be on here Thank you for joining us. Right. And we're not going to do chronological because I'm not smart enough, Chris, but um, okay. just just, just for, and we can use any language we like here, just for shits and giggles, please tell me what it's like to be in a Rover 3.5 litre Vitesse. Uh, a, lot, a lot of sideways. <laughs> um, we, we use the Rover uh, on uh, international rallies in Belgium and Holland and uh uh, Germany, Austria. We did quite a few rallies in the Rover. It was uh, popular with the uh, with the foreign organisers, so the start money was good. Uh, we went through a lot of uh, rear tyres, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm sure it made a great noise while it was doing it. And you know that that was towards the start of your international career, Chris. But I mean, you uh, you obviously grew up around rallying. You, your father had an illustrious co-driving career with the Mikulas and the Mackinans of this world. I mean, going right back to the beginning, what 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 are your early memories of of your father's rallying? What 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 sticks in your mind? The stories that you heard. Uh, I wasn't, didn't really take much interest until uh, he was rallying in the 70s. So uh, he uh, was rallying with Tony Fall, the late Tony Fall, in a, a Datsun 240Z. Uh, and I remember him uh, bringing the car back home after the rally. He was driving it back from the finish to somewhere and he brought it back parked it outside uh, the house and we went for a drive in it so that was my earliest memory of being in a rally car and uh, did you did you then develop a, an interest in rallying from that would you say you know were you always keen that you would go rallying or, or did that come a little bit later no absolutely keen uh, and my dad taught me how to read uh the road off maps we used to uh, uh spend time on the dining room table with maps open and uh, he would give me tests telling me how to get from a to b and find the best route uh, and uh, i used to le learn how to use maps uh, that way so i started road rallying Whilst I was at uh, college, 
uh, in uh, Preston. And uh, so I was uh, 18. Uh, and I started road rallying with a friend of mine who I met at college. Uh, and it was all about maps then. You, you mentioned maps, and uh, it's something probably that, you know, in, in this day and age now, obviously it's all about pace notes and road books, and, and maps barely come into it. But I mean, in, right. in, in the old days of doing international rallies, you, you had a box with a huge number of maps in the car, didn't you? Absolutely, yeah. For, uh, for an RAC rally, uh, there was. Uh, 30 or so maps and we used to uh, plan the entire route following the road book putting it onto maps uh, and we actually did use them there was a surprising number of times uh, you had to get the map out to find your way around uh, a spectator's roadblock or something like that uh, so yeah we, we relied on maps uh, a lot on international rallies early on and uh, reading the road from road rallies transferred to reading the road uh, in forests uh, so that's that was a, a really good grounding and uh, for you personally how did you i mean obviously maps was a was a real skill in itself i mean it, would you have enjoyed uh, the change to pace knots on all the events, or did you enjoy actually reading a map on a stage? No, I really enjoyed reading the maps. I, I didn't mind the change to pace notes, which uh, 1989, uh, the year I did uh, uh, the REC with Simon Davison in a works Persia, uh, the only the Sunday spectator stays were pace notes so they're the only ones we could, we wrecked and the remainder of the rally was on maps so uh, that was the last year after that it went to uh, pace notes and you could wreck the entire route so uh, yeah I, uh, I enjoyed the the, the uh, maps but uh, I didn't mind the change of pace notes so once again my father had uh, he claimed uh, he invented pace notes. Uh, obviously, Dennis Jenkinson uh, was uh, renowned for using uh, notes when he did the uh, Milli Miglia with Sterling Moss. But my dad claims he invented pace notes, him and Henry Lytton. So he taught me a little bit about them. And, you, and then you, you said that you started on, on road rallies. Um, when, when did the move to stage rallies come and, and what, were, what were the first events you did? Uh, yeah, um, I'd done road rallies with uh, uh, local people. Well, I met a guy called Rob Barry and uh, he was building a Group A RS2000 and he asked me to do the Scottish rally in uh, 1984, I think, uh, and uh, we, well, that was that was the change to stage rallies, and uh, I did mix them up for a little bit, doing motoring news road rallies. But uh, once the, once I'd done stage rallies with Rob Barry, uh, I code over him for uh, quite a few years and he was the one that uh, 
that changed from the Escort to the Rover. Uh, and we had a, a team of two Rovers, actually, uh, going to international rallies in Europe. Wow. When did it become apparent, Chris, that this was going to be more than a hobby for you? Uh, 1989, I was doing uh, the British Championship with the guy Stuart Kaup from Lancashire in a group in Integrale. And I met lots of uh, people doing that championship. And one of them was uh, Simon. And uh, he asked me to finish the season with him in his 1.3. We did the Manx. And uh, I met, obviously met, and got to know well Des O'Dell and uh, he uh, sort of befriended me and started my career so that's when I I got the idea that I could make a career out of it this is what people tend to forget everybody always assumes you know and, and you know what a great name Des O'Dell and how many drivers have, have, have been blessed and, and supported by Peugeot but People genuinely forget, don't they, that it happened with co-drivers as well. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, once uh, once we'd finished that season, 1989, Simon got uh, dropped. Uh, he claims it was because uh, he got drunk at one championship prize giving and uh, remembered standing at the bar ordering more drink legless and looking across and seeing uh, the boss of Shell Motorsport a guy called uh, David Thomas and and realising that that was the end of his career Wow! Uh, Wow. so uh, the following year Des kept me on uh, to co-drive for uh, a, a new young kid that he was supporting in rallycross Johnny Milner that he wanted to move into rallying. So I did that. Uh, And that was the first time that uh, I had a contract that actually paid some money. Joe, in that period, the the contract, was that the contract with Peugeot or was it a contract between you and Johnny? How did it work? Because obviously you've just said that there's kind of took it under his wing a little bit were you were you just given a driver were you just told right this is going to be your driver for this season yes that's pretty much how it works uh, Des called me down to his office in Coventry and said uh, I'd like you to uh, I'm going to drop Simon I'd like you to stay on and co-drive for this uh, young guy he's not done any rallies uh, he's been doing rally cross but I think he's going to be good and uh, we'll uh, give you a contract and uh, that's how that worked yeah it tended uh, to work with me that way not with everybody Uh, it sometimes worked out really well and sometimes it didn't (laughs) (laughs) with Johnny coming from, from, from rally cross you know, with no stage 
kind of background i suppose one that was a massive jump from somebody to go from 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 not actually doing stage rallies you know to going straight into it in, in inverted commas a work team how was it to get straight in a car with somebody who hadn't been rallying before at that level uh well uh we spent quite a bit of time together driving around his local roads and i was teaching him how to make pace notes and uh, then when we did the first year together, we did the National Rally Championship. And uh, there you got pace notes given, made by Pattersons. I think they probably still do that, I don't know. Yeah. Um, and uh, so they weren't, it wasn't exactly, the pace notes weren't exactly new. And uh, he was instantly... Uh, good on gravel, although a little too fast to start with. But uh, I remember, I think it was uh, David Richards that said it's uh, easy to easier to take a fast driver and slow him down a bit in order to get him to the finish than it is to take a slow driver and make him go fast. Yeah. And he should so, <laughs> Yeah. So that's how it was with Johnny. He was a bit too fast to start with, but we slowed him down and he uh, he became fast and reliable. Incredible amount of time in 205s. And again, you know, we, we, we forget really that everybody from that kind of period drove a 205. You know, there's, there's very, very few drivers you know, from that period who were quick, who went on to forge your career, who didn't drive a Peugeot at, uh, at some point. When you were in it and you're in the thick of it, did you perhaps see that? Did you Were you aware of the fact that this was going to be a halcyon time for, 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 for young British drivers because, you know, Peugeot Sport was showing such an interest? Uh, not exactly. Uh, I sort of missed a, uh, a portion uh, that people had, people generally came up through the Peugeot Challenge, and uh, I never did the Peugeot Challenge. I went straight into the works team, and uh, so I, I sort of took it for granted. Whereas a, a lot more people were very hard at, at making their way through the championships in order to get uh, the driving their works car so I sort of took it for granted and didn't really appreciate at the time quite how hard some people had had to work to get there um, If I can ask you about the, the Shell scholarship because that's something which you know people quite a lot recently because of lockdown and everything else people have been pulling out pictures and showing the lineup of drivers and we had yeah. julian we had julian porter on with us a couple of episodes ago talk going through his career as well of course he went through that process um obviously uh, trevor agnew who does the program with us as well uh he was talking to martin rowe and martin went through um, the process yeah, did, as well yeah. so uh, if we can uh, if we can get to that point how did you become part of the shell scholarship system then well the first year was uh, when they when Shell Motorsport decided to do the scholarship, they got uh, uh, six or eight crews together for a day 
and uh, I was with Johnny and we went through the day and uh, I remember uh, uh, young Don Buckley was there and uh, he crashed one of the cars during the day and got carted off to hospital so that was one competitor down um, but in the end uh, although Richard Burns was there he didn't win Alistair McRae was the surprise winner uh, so uh, we were back with Peugeot again Johnny and I and then the following year uh, Johnny and I won the scholarship but uh, Johnny decided he wanted a different co-driver but once again I'd forged an excellent relationship with uh, Shell's motorsport boss uh, David Thomas he was from uh, uh, the, he, he, he lived where I used to live in Bramall in Cheshire so we had a connection there and uh, I had a, he then said well I think it's not really fair that Johnny's taking the new code round it's his choice we're going to give you a contract anyway and uh, we're going to put you with another young driver uh, who impressed the scholarship panel Martin Rowe and uh, I remember meeting him down at one of Shell's functions at Shell Mex House in London for the first time and uh, he had only been told that day that he got a drive of the scholarship uh, as well as Johnny uh, and that he'd have a new co-driver and it was me <laughs> so that's how we that's how I started with the scholarship but like I say I'd uh, I'd done well making friends with uh, the boss of Shell so you never you never know who, who people are and, and you should always always that's one thing that maybe so, so any of our younger listeners may, may want to take on board is, is, is building those connections but the the the, the shell thing um, I find fascinating because it's it, it gets it, this is where Blackie gets involved. This is where Steve Black gets involved. Uh huh. Yeah. So the the famous SBG registrations, which of course people talk about latterly, when they get to kind of the the Volkswagen era and things like that, but yeah. they they were heavily involved, and Steve was heavily involved with with the Shell scholarship, and I can remember. You know, Martin talking to Martin about this, and you know he, he moved in, I think, with Blackie at the time, and everything else, and and um, yeah. So you 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 move over from Peugeot as well. So now you're in, you know, a, I suppose that's a small team compared to what you've been used to, or was it? What was it like working? No, with Steve? not really. Okay. Uh, Blackie had prepared the two o fives to do the championships that we did with Johnny they uh, often, often happen like that uh, that uh, the works factory uh, subcontracted people to build cars and Blackie had built the Peugeot so I already had a relationship with SBG and uh, then when we moved to the scholarship uh the first year we did the national championship, which was quite 
uh, spectacular really because Martin had driven had taken over the wheel of this brand new uh, Escort Cosworth and uh, we did the Mazda Winter Rally which was the first round of the National Championship and the car had blown a turbo early on so we did the rally at slow speed and then the second rally was the Granite City and then the third rally the Manx International from a seeding of 28 we won the rally overall so uh, from that point forward Shell started to throw more money behind Martin and then when we moved up to the uh, what's, what's called the British Open Rally Championship the International Series the following year it was like a works team we had the biggest motorhome uh, <laughs> and uh, more vans than any other uh, team and more people it was like a works team so uh, it was no real difference between Peugeot and the Shell Scholarship. Wow. Now, that, that relationship with, with Martin obviously continued for a long time, and we'll, we'll come back to that in a minute. But, but in the middle of all that period was, was a, a one-off drive that you had um, with another well-known driver. And uh, 25 years ago this year has been well celebrated for, uh, for Colin McCrae taking his world championship victory and, and winning, uh, winning the Network Q Rally that year. But... But behind the uh, the three Subarus that took first, second, and third on the RAC rally, you finished fourth alongside Alistair McRae. There must be a few uh, a few stories from that rally. Well, yeah, that was actually 1995. That was after the scholarship. Uh, before that, uh, I don't know whether you are aware that uh, Des O'Dell had asked me to co-drive uh, with a. A, a driver from the uh, 205 Challenge that he thought was going to go on to bigger things and that was Richard Burns uh, and I did I was due to do three rallies with Richard uh, we did the first rally and I reported to Des that he clearly was brilliant and uh that he saw, we did it the rally in uh, Peugeot's development 309 16 valve, and I suggested that uh, he would be better off driving one of the Group A cars, uh, but also that he, although we got on great and he became a good friend, uh, he was also uh, clearly pining for his regular co-driver Robert Reed so I uh, backed out of the other two rallies and suggested that Robert go back in the car and that was either a, a great decision or really stupid <laughs> uh, as it turned out uh, but uh, yeah so going back to your uh, uh, question about Alistair McRae that was 1995 and uh, I got a call I was, in, I was in the bath actually and uh, my uh, girlfriend at the time she, she said there's a call here it's, uh, uh, from somebody uh, uh, called McRae and I thought blimey something's happened to Derek Ringer 
and uh, Colin needs me. So I jumped out the back, uh, and it turned out to be Alistair wanting to do the RAC rally. I wasn't a disappointment, but uh, I did, so I didn't get back in the bath. Um, but uh, we, we, we just did that uh, rally in a Group A uh, Escort Cosworth, one of Malcolm Wilson's cars. And uh, that started off, we started off the rally effectively as privateers run by Malcolm's team. It was still a big team, but uh, the Ford cars were driven by Delacour and Bruno Thierry. And by halfway through the rally, uh, Delacour had retired and we were beating uh, Bruno Thierry. We were ahead of Bruno Thierry and everything changed. Uh, all of a sudden, we were now uh, serviced by the works team. All the radios were changed over so that we were now uh, communicating via the aeroplane. Uh, and uh, that was a real eye-opener. Uh, what I thought had been a works team in the past was nothing compared to this. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were uh, now uh, speaking directly to uh, the the bosses of, of Ford. And, uh, like I say, communication via the aeroplane was, was different. I had to learn a completely different set of instructions uh, and you, you could now uh, speak to anybody at any time which has been a, a, if you remember in the old days radios were a bit sketchy uh, but with the aeroplane you could speak to anybody anytime so it was a, a great rally and uh, we were doing well quite early on we were in the top 10 from the word go uh, we climbed up the order, some people retired, and we got up to uh, fourth place with a day and a half to go, and uh, easily beating Thierry, which uh, Alistair had hoped would be a stepping stone to uh, a works drive, but that didn't work out for him unfortunately and anyway he went back to being co-driven by David Senior I believe the change for the rally was down to him falling out with David over money uh, whereas I was prepared to do the RAC in a works uh, Ford for nothing uh, David was asking for money and uh, so I think they sort of fell out temporarily um, and then, obviously, shortly after that, Malcolm Wilson took over the the contract for the for the World Championship team. Could you see that coming? Having been in the Malcolm Wilson Motorsport setup, Malcolm was obviously in with Ford at that point. Um, you know, it, did that did that seem like a, a natural occurrence once he took on the World Championship team? From what you'd seen, uh, absolutely. Yeah, uh, Malcolm's team uh, was. Uh, was fabulously well organised, coordinated by John Steele uh, up in uh, in Cumbria, and we went up there a couple of times before the rally. Uh, and uh, the factory wasn't where it is now at Dovenby. Uh, it was attached to Malcolm's house, uh, and uh, 
but still impressive. Uh, even then, you could see it was uh, it was as good, well, virtually as good as ProDrive's operation. And I've been I've been there in Bambury a few times as well. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't a big surprise. Uh, another driver you, you sat in with just after that, uh, uh, who was a, a good friend of mine, and, and again with support from from Shell. But another young driver who you were helping, uh, a driver who worked very hard. Uh, uh, he was very professional outside of the car, and that, that was Mark Fisher. What was what was Mark like to sit alongside? Uh, demanding, uh, extremely uh, professional, as you say and demanding in what he wanted. Uh, We did uh, a number of rallies a year in uh, the Nissan Micra Challenge, uh, which was uh, slow, but (laughs) but, but Mark made it go quite quick. But yeah, it was another Shell-supported car uh, in... uh, uh, shell colours so uh, that was arranged via shell motorsport as well Uh, and Mark was great really friendly but as I say uh, demanding, he knew what he wanted from a co-driver and uh, although he was young and relatively inexperienced, he'd obviously learnt a lot from his father uh, and it's it, it's been probably an interesting change, hasn't it? In in rallying, you know, we expect drivers to be professional now. We expect them to be demanding. We expect them to be doing a lot of research before the events, looking at onboards. But that certainly wasn't the case then, was it? It wasn't the normal. No, it wasn't. Uh, and uh, um, Mark was well into that, uh, getting videos of the rallies beforehand and and watching them time after time. I wasn't a, to be fair, I wasn't a big fan of uh, the videos that uh, Patterson produced at relatively slow speed. You didn't, I didn't think you got a great idea of of the severity of the corners and uh, and the bumps and jumps at that speed, but uh, clearly I was wrong because everybody else uh, did it and, and found speed because of it and Mark certainly bought into that and you uh, you then spent some time with uh, several years with another Manxman how, how did the relationship with David Higgins come about? Um, obviously I knew David through competing against him in the British Rally Championship and then he gave me a call at the beginning of the season quite close to the start of the British Rally Championship and uh, he wanted to change from uh, Cliff Simmons and Cliffy became a really close friend of mine but and yours obviously because you go around for you um, Ryan but uh, uh, he wasn't too happy, Cliff, but we made the change, and uh, uh, so we did uh, quite a few seasons with uh, Barrett's uh, Subaru, and they ran a, a, a very professional operation, uh, and we had a great time. 
But we had a really good, fun time with David. It was a fun team to be with. Uh, Paul Barrett, the boss, was on every rally. And although he was paying for things, uh, he didn't mind you uh, having a bit of fun. And uh, and if you uh, damaged the car, that was fine too because he knew you were trying hard. And we did damage a few cars. <laughs> um, but... Um, we always managed to finish the rally, but we, we, we rolled quite a few times and ended up on its wheels. Uh, but, yeah, no, we had a fun, a fun few years. Uh, I'm just, just thinking to myself here, as we, as we mentioned quite a few of these names, uh, obviously alongside your professional rallying career at the time, you, you, were, you were building quite a successful business, and you actually employed a lot of these drivers and co-drivers we're talking about. Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, uh, I'd uh, started a company with Simon Davison, although he'd been going a year when I joined. Um, but we made it much bigger, called Pro Drivers. And uh, we employed drivers to do vehicle demonstrations, some high speed, some on the road. And uh, we found that uh, our both our sources of uh, contacts made for uh, uh, made for getting good people on board, uh, including yourself, Ryan, <laughs> who did quite a lot for us all over the world. I remember sending you to America, uh, I think Los Angeles, to do some work for Subaru. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, and, and Korea and, yeah, various, various far-flung places, yeah. Yeah, all, yes. all, all often it was a, a dealer in Middlesbrough. It wasn't all exciting. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't by any means. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so we employed l loads of uh, people from the motorsport scene, maybe ra lots of rallying, but plenty of uh, race drivers too. I remember employing uh, Jason Plato, uh, earlier in his career, before he started touring cars, and he became a, a really good friend of mine. Actually, uh, I'd known Jason quite a long time. Bizarrely, when I was uh, starting, before I was, uh, well, whilst I was doing early career uh, in Europe, I had a motorsport travel agents, and. Uh, Jason and his father uh, came to us looking for sponsorship and uh, we sponsored them, we sponsored him for a year and I got to know him then, I forget the year that he was doing Formula Renault and uh, I'd known him before that for, for a number of years so uh, yeah, we employed race drivers as well Paul O'Neill uh, was one and uh, Oh, quite a few, quite a few, including Ben Collins, uh, who uh, obviously went on to be the stick. In fact, I think we've employed quite a few sticks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's many of them. There's many of them, Chris. There is, I've, yeah. I've, I've never been one of them. In fact, I just, just talking about pro drivers, that's not where I was going to go. But uh, I can remember when I started rallying, anybody who was anybody worked for pro drivers, and all of us minions 
who were lower down the order all dreamt of going to work for pro drivers <laughs> genuinely i can say that it wasn't all it was cracked up to be you know there was never any parties or fun had that, fun. oh really <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. There was one or two over the years. Uh, there was <laughs> many uh, yeah. parties at the ends of uh, events. Uh, and I remember uh, uh, roof surfing <laughs> uh, a, a, a Vauxhall Severa at the end of one of their launches uh, with uh, uh, James Ratty Rhodes driving. <laughs> Uh, so there were some wild things and you were part of them right? <laughs> yeah there's some of those things I don't think we can share on this podcast yeah, well, but well, uh, well, yeah well, we, we definitely had some colourful times we'll avoid the litigation on that one I think Chris um, I've got to ask we're going to fast forward a little bit but when you got okay. the call to go back to sit with Martin in a Super 1600 uh-huh. Puma was there, a, was there a sense of just such excitement that you were going to be with a factory team Ford, Martin again, who was going to be obviously be competitive in the Puma and then foot and mouth it. And did it, did it really, really, you know, cause you were talking about how passionate you were about maps and notes. And then all of a sudden you've just got the works call up again and well, now you're doing effectively single venues. Well, we had done a year before that. 2000 was when we started with Ford okay. and, uh, we drove, uh, uh, the first rally we did was the Jim Clark rally, uh, and we had the Burke's Puma. It wasn't in uh, rapid fit colours. It was a blue and um, metallic blue car. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we ended up winning the Super 1600 category on that rally. So it was a great start. And uh, so that was the first call from Martin saying uh, he'd got, this development drive with Ford, uh, developing the Puma, and uh, it might lead to something more. So that was great. Going down to Boreham, which was, you know, before it shut, obviously, uh, and signing a contract uh, with them was really exciting uh, to, to, to be with the Ford Works team. Uh, run out of Boreham and we did uh, all sorts of rallies we did uh, Thousand Lakes Rally San Remo uh, RAC plus various other strange uh, French rallies and Spanish rallies I remember doing a Spanish rally uh, in a Christ a development Ford Focus uh, front wheel drive uh, which I think they were looking to make a one make cha- championship yeah, it was an a-, 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 a7 car they did them over an island it was a one make championship over an island it was an A7 car yeah I remember them it was appalling yeah it whined they whined it, something chronic the gearbox was so noisy on the things I remember yeah it was slow but I was going to say I remember doing this rally in Spain flying over uh, into Spain the day before the rally and then the recce of the rally was in the morning in the rally car uh, and then in the afternoon you did the same stages uh, that you'd just wrecked. Uh in the morning it was a bizarre way to, to do rallies but that's how they did them apparently 
Uh, but, but quite exciting. But we did it in this for focus, and it was, like I say, it was, it was never. I didn't think it was ever going to go anywhere. I didn't <laughs> even know. I didn't even know they'd done any rallying with it in, in Ireland. So uh, yeah, they did, and uh, every now and again you see one on eBay, and it's one of those <laughs> yeah. things where you just kind of just move past it very quickly. So I guess you're about to say we we did the we had a then uh, had a deal to do the British Rally Championship in 2001, I think it was. Yeah, it was the year of foot and mouth. And uh, foot and mouth hit, and uh, it looked like we were going to go. Uh, we were going to do nothing until uh, uh, this guy, uh, what was his Dan name? Moss. Dan, Andy Moss. Andy, Andy Moss. Moss. There you go. Came up with this Formula Rally Championship. And actually, Andy Moss was Martin's manager at the time. Uh, so uh, he uh, pushed for Ford to do this championship. And it started off as single venues, as you say. But uh, it did move on to uh, proper rallies. We did the Jim Clark rally and also the Scottish. Uh, and then it finished back with a horrible rally called the Heart of England rally, doing really poxy little stages in there and everywhere. Uh, but the yeah, Ford threw all their weight behind it. Uh, and it was... Uh, from our point of view, uh, quite uh, a spectacular year. Yeah, I was uh, I was there. I joined it towards towards the end, doing the one make series. But um, I just want to, um, I just kind of want to talk about. Obviously, you're, you 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 did more with Martin. You did stuff with with David Sutton. There's always a have you got a favourite David Sutton story that you that you could legally allow to share with us? <laughs> David uh, came on we, we'd already uh, done a deal with Ford to do the junior rally championship in the in the, in the Puma uh, when uh, and that was six rounds of the world rally championship when we got approached by David Sutton who actually came down to a test we were doing at uh, Higgins' place down in Wales. And he said, we'd like you, uh, well, Anna, who was funding the project, a lady called Anna Goney, would like you to join the team. And uh, uh, the second car, or the first car, is being driven by Stig Blomqvist, and uh, we sat in this, uh, what did they have, like uh, uh, porter cabins. Yeah, we sat still in this, they're still there at the forest. Is it? It's the same ones are still there. Sat in this porter cabin, and he said, we'd like you to do the, the Pirelli, uh, sorry, the Production World Rally Championship, and it used the uh, six other World Championship rallies. So it dovetailed with the six we were already doing. So we ended up doing 12. And I remember sitting in the port cabin with Martin. And uh, we went outside to dis discuss it. And we said, well, we're definitely going to say yes. Uh, I said, 
we've got to ask for some money. And he said, well, we'll, we'll do it for nothing. I said, yeah, but Sutty doesn't know that. <laughs> so we went back in the porter cabin and we said, uh, uh, we want... Uh, we want £5,000 each per rally, which was an enormous amount. Uh, £30,000 for six rallies. And uh, he said, I'll have to make a call. So he, he must have phoned Anna and he came back and said, uh, we'll give you three each per rally. So... Uh, we went about outside again and said, jumped up and down <laughs> and, and, and said, yeah, yeah, brilliant. Went back in and said, yeah, okay, if you must <laughs> take the three grand rally. So, the, thing, the thing was, Sutty was charging them nine. <laughs> oh, no, no doubt. Um, but it was, it was great. Sutty came on all the rallies and uh, he was a big uh, drinker. Uh, so uh, we ended up uh, at the end of each rally. We always have a, had a party. Uh, he, he always drank too much, <laughs> uh, and uh, always ended up paying the bill. Um, uh, we had a great time. City was uh, was good. I remember writing to him after we after we come back from. Uh, the the uh, Tiggins's place, writing to him saying how proud I was that uh, we were doing rallies with David Sutton, uh, given his uh, uh, given his history with uh, with Vatican and winning the world championship. So I made another friend of the boss. Yeah, true. Uh, uh, didn't do it on purpose, but uh, but Martin bizarrely wasn't really familiar with what Sutty had done, so I had to teach him uh, the history of David Sutton motorsport, uh, and uh, so he, he got to re respect Sutty. In yeah. a different way, uh, but yeah, we had some uh, great uh, uh, times on that year. We didn't win the uh, production car world championship. We came third, but I uh, we were going to do the next year, and we decided that a Subaru was a better bet than the Mitsubishi. So Sooty Sooty agreed, and he just prepared Subarus instead. Uh, but uh, I'd drawn up this uh, plan. I don't know whether Martin told you. No, uh, no, we've not, Martin. On for a while. He, uh, we drew up a plan on a spreadsheet of how we were going to win the championship. What what average score we, we needed to do to to win the championship, which rallies we would we should win and which rallies we could afford a poor score on. But I decided uh, late on that actually the business pro drivers had grown to such an extent that I really wasn't uh, I really wasn't giving it the time it deserved. So I decided 
to concentrate on business. And, uh, and uh, Martin continued that year with Trevor, Trevor Agnew. And uh, I made yet another bad career decision because <laughs> they went on and won the World Championship uh, using my plan. Believe you, Tom. But so well, that, that was a, a bad, another bad decision. Uh, I've made a few. Uh, and uh, like I say, they were they become world champions, and I'm really pleased for for them, Trevor, yeah. as well. Um, so you've just mentioned that obviously your, your business commitments were, were were starting to obviously overtake your your rally career. So I suppose O yeah. two was 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 or the end of O two was a definitive kind of uh, fork in the road for you. It was. It was. I decided I wasn't going to do. Any championships, um, um, although I started 03 with uh, David Higgins in a um, Hyundai World Rally car, and, and we won the um, the Pirelli International uh, f- first time out in that car, and I thought, hang on, I might just revise my uh, decision here uh, but uh, David uh, uh, ended up wanting some money towards his uh, hiring of this car so he got uh, different co-drivers for that so, year so that brings us Chris to you know the, the if we can fast forward on if that's that that's the period obviously Things did change for you quite dramatically um, some six years ago now, and I suppose we've we, we've got to ask at this point, you know, how is your health? How how are you today? And 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 how is life for you right now? Yeah, I, I hadn't completely finished rallying with rallying. I did the historic uh, rally championship with a guy called Sean Lockyer in a Porsche 911, but it all came to a grinding halt in 2012 when I fell off my bike and uh, uh, broke well uh, crushed my spinal cord which left me paralyzed from my chest down I can use one arm so uh, my health uh, suffers because of that and as we speak whilst the rest of the country is getting uh, uh, is getting back to normal uh, uh, I'm still myself and my wife Kay who suffers from severe asthma we're still on uh, what's called shielding and will be till the end of the month at the earliest. Uh, so we have to shield because uh, my uh, uh, lungs don't work uh, properly and they um, are liable to get uh, infections easily. So uh, whilst my health is generally good, I get infections easily, and uh, so uh, I uh, I suffer a little bit, but generally I'm in good spirits. Uh, although 
the fastest I get to go is uh, uh, eight miles an hour now uh, on the uh, wheelchair. I recently posted uh, uh, I posted a, a, a clip of me doing a hill climb. I did, did see, see that. that. Yeah, I see it <laughs> up my uh, up the ramp uh, from my garden to the veranda at the top. So yeah, I try to uh, maintain some uh, connection with motorsport. I, well, in, and your hill climb course was built by Johnny Milner, of course. It was. Yeah, uh, he, he came one day. My garden's about six or eight feet down below the the uh the veranda from the house and i couldn't the first three years i couldn't get in the garden and johnny came down one year he says why don't you go in the garden i said i can't get there he said oh i'll sort that out and he came the next uh week with a uh a chippy and they measured up and he came the following weekend with a arctic truck full of uh, all the materials, decking, uh, saws, uh, uh, screws, nuts and bolts to build uh, a ramp, which it took uh, three days to build. And uh, from then on, I've been able to get in the garden. That's all thanks to Johnny. Well, great, uh, great to hear you're in uh, in good spirits and that uh, and that you can do that. And obviously, we all hope this uh, you know this situation improves soon and, and we can uh, we can all get uh, all get back up. Yeah, uh, we have been talking about that, have we not? Of uh, getting uh, the uh, people together uh, as soon as it, uh, the lockdown fully finishes, but uh, you know. We we are afraid uh, that it might take a little bit longer than everybody thinks. But that's just me being pessimistic, I guess. Well, I think I think considering what uh, what you've been through over the last few years, you, you you're in good spirits and very optimistic. I think, and uh, you know, and thanks for talking to us and, and sharing your career on Absolute Rally. Thank you. I hope it was uh, interesting enough. I know <laughs> I'm not as uh, as, as laughable as uh, Stefan Prevo. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but you, you haven't insulted as many people either, Chris. So, uh, you know, that's... that's I haven't what? You haven't insulted as many people as Stefan did either, though, so... No, uh, you know. no, I'm, I'm keen not to do that. I need as many friends as I can get at the minute. Good man. Listen, Chris Wood, thank you so much for joining us Absolute Rally. Folks, we'll be back same time, same place in Little Podcast Hall next week. Absolute Rally. Powered by the Kielder Works team. Spread the word and download the podcast every week.